0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, I'm so happy you're here listening today and joining me. We have a beautiful interview for you, a really great interview. We're talking about nourishing ourselves, and it's such an important conversation, especially in this culture of scarcity that we all are swimming in. I wrote a little bit about this this week to my email subscribers. If you are subscribed, then hopefully you're receiving those emails from me and you've already heard me talking about this scarcity culture that we all live in. And it's like the air we breathe. We don't even notice it. It's one of those things. We wake up thinking, I didn't get enough sleep. Then we move so quickly into our day thinking, I don't have enough time. Or we think, I don't have enough energy. We rush through our day trying to accomplish as much as humanly possible, only to think at the end of the day, I didn't get enough done. And this goes into all kinds of um, sort of evolutions, which... Fall into the feeling of I'm not young enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not flexible enough, I'm not dedicated enough, I'm not determined enough, I'm not funny enough, whatever it is, right? We're always sort of stuck in this toxic not enoughness. And this then, of course, spills over into our choices. What kind of choices are we making for ourselves? How are we? treating ourselves? How are we living from the place where we feel like we're not enough? And it can also spill over into our yoga practice of feeling like we're never doing enough in our yoga practice or in our spiritual practices. And the natural thing that we try to do is then we try to get more, to be more, to become more. So what We feel like, okay, I need to practice more, more yoga postures, more meditation, more chanting, more journaling, maybe more exercising, more running, more breath work, more green smoothies, more salads, more studying, more organic food, more reading, more learning, more certifications, more workshops, more restrictions, more trips to India, you name it, we're feeling like we need to do more of it. Uh, But honestly, it will never be enough because we're stuck in this vicious circle and it's like trying to feed a hungry ghost. The ghost is never satisfied. This deep, deep, deep feeling or shame or hidden secret place where we feel like we're just not enough will never feel like it's enough until we slow down. And start to tune in and listen to these subtle feelings of insecurity and unworthiness and lack. And we have to feel into those sensations and be with them and not be afraid to truly feel what's at the core of our chasing, what's at the core of our desire, what's at the core of what's driving us and pushing us in all areas of our life. So, can you allow yourself to become quiet and just tune in to what that part of you who feels like she'll never be enough, that she's not lovable, that she needs to be more perfect, that things need to be different about her? Can you really be with her? And maybe even start to remember or acknowledge when she first felt this way. Because when we're born, we don't feel this way. When we look at young children, they don't think or feel like, oh, I'll never be enough. They're just beautifully, blissfully happy with who they are. And so the answer isn't in doing more or in getting more or in being more. It's really about feeling into who we are and recognizing that we already are enough, that everything that we are, that we need, that we want is already here. You are already whole and complete, and there's nothing broken in you that needs fixing. There's nothing wrong with you that needs perfecting. And there's nothing sick or stuck in you that needs healing. And we free up so much energy to integrate all of these lost and rejected parts of ourselves when we just start to welcome and embrace them and really recognize and awaken to the truth that we already are enough and we have enough and we're doing enough. But one of the biggest stressors in life is feeling like we don't have enough time and that we're running out of time. And so I want to open up two opportunities for you. One is uh, stepping into this wonderful masterclass that's happening this week. It's called a Time Genius Masterclass. And it is the three sneaky mistakes that kill productivity and tank profits, plus learning how to get further faster by working way less. And it's a masterclass that's being offered by one of my business mentors, Marie Forleo. It's happening this week. And it's really showing us that time isn't money. Um, time isn't scarce. And time isn't running away. And we're not in a race against time or a battle against time. We're not, um, you know, losing time. And um, is really about helping us recognize and reframe that time is an emotional experience and that this feeling that we have to keep hustling and we can't rest because we're going to fall behind or we're going to miss out and this grueling exhausting pace that we keep pushing ourselves at is actually costing us big time when it comes down to our personal health and feelings of satisfaction and It shows up in also our ability to monetize our talents and our gifts and put ourselves out into the world as well as healers, as spiritual entrepreneurs, as yoga teachers, as coaches, however you're building your business. um, It's really, really so important to understand this paradox that we're in. And recognize that we do have time and that there are things we can do that will save us time that we can stop and savor time and really be present in what we're doing and this is one of the best and easiest ways to get out of overwhelm so I would just really recommend you step into this free class and if you missed my workshop on Saturday, that was all about uh, dialing in and building a self-care practice that really works for you in your stage and phase of life, Um, just hit me up with an email. Send me a message, DM me, and ask for the replay. And I'm super happy to send you the replay, and you can watch this amazing workshop that I did which is really all about helping you design and create a spiritual practice that is customized to you at this stage and phase of your life. And if you're really struggling with figuring out how to get out of this cycle of either overworking or feeling like you're never enough or burning out and striving all the time and just feeling unhappy or dissatisfied and maybe trying to fill that hole with different things in your life, whether it's, you know, your yoga practice or Netflix or overworking or overexercising or overeating or I don't know. There's all kinds of patterns that come up when we're trying to fill this hole within ourselves. Um, Reach out. Reach out to me. I'm opening up a few spots for my one-on-one coaching program where I'm customizing the program to fit your needs, and we're doing some deep work, journaling and different practices that really can help you integrate yourself or bring the pieces of yourself back together, and I'm here to support you in doing that. So you can find uh, an application if this sounds like something you're interested in, if you want to experience more fullness, joy, peace, completeness, health and wealth and maybe you even want to look at how this feeling of lack or scarcity is affecting not just you personally but also your business, I'm happy to uh, help you bring a greater awareness and understanding of who you are and what you're capable of also into that aspect of your life. So you can head on over to my website, harmonyslater.com forward slash coaching is where you will find the application to work with me. And I would love to help you get to your next level to step into that next place of integration and uh, we can jump into a complimentary clarity session and really look at what might be blocking you and what those obstacles are that are coming up and where you want to be, what you want to create, where you want to go, uh, what is that next level for you personally. And we're going to help you also integrate a spiritual practice that is helping you tap in and align with your higher self, with um, a greater power, whatever that energy or God or consciousness Uh, You conceive it to be however you conceive it to be because once you align on the inside, once you get yourself straight internally, everything starts to open up and fall into place externally. It's so important that we move from our spiritual center and connect and integrate to ourselves internally and spiritually first and have that alignment so that we can um, allow and accept and then also... Uh, call in uh, all of these things that we want on an external level but we can't do that if we're not internally right with ourselves so starting from the inside doing the inner work first and then moving into the strategic outer work that's what we'll be doing so I'd love to connect with you if you're curious if you're open to that HarmonySlater.com forward slash coaching. And you can find the link for Marie's masterclass. It's happening this week and next week for her Time Genius program, which I'm also opening up a mastermind. You're going to get some incredible bonuses with that. And it's opening up this week on September 12th. So keep your eyes open. And our guest today, uh, this incredible, amazing woman that we are interviewing. Uh, She is also a time genius herself, she's someone that I met uh, through uh, Marie Forleo's community, and she's an incredible lady, you're going to love her, Leah Huber, she is the founder and CEO of Nourished Evolution. She is inspiring and equipping people to live richer, more delicious lives through real food. She's also the author of an incredible book called Nourished. It's a memoir of food, faith, and enduring love. And there's tons of incredible recipes inside this book. And she's all about helping you connect to what is truly nutritious and delicious food that's going to um, help you heal your body she has an incredible story about being diagnosed with lupus and um, her journey of healing herself through food and we're going to be sharing that journey with you here today so she's had 20 years working for major magazines as a freelance writer She's a working mom, an entrepreneur, and developed this entire community and, um, you know, revolution on natural foods and whole foods and how we can use real food to cook with the seasons, to reset our bodies, our immune systems, and help us heal our lives, um, by nourishing ourselves in all the ways that we can and in ways that are also delicious and fun. So she is a super fun human and I know you're just gonna love her. She is uh, incredibly real and down to earth and you're just gonna walk away feeling inspired like I can totally do this and she's Um, She's here to help us connect to how to nourish ourselves uh, more fully and completely so that we can, again, optimize our energy and optimize our bodies and live our best lives. So let's jump into this incredible interview with Leah. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell Cage. Oh, good morning. Good morning. and mm. We're joined today by the effervescent mm. Leah Hoover. Mm. Hello, Leah. How are you? Hi, hi. Very good. So <laughs> glad to be here with you guys. Oh, I I am
1: I am I'm trying to see <laughs> just where our our nexus of interconnections meet up, and I can't quite place you as as like a I th- I'm I'm suspect <laughs> Illinois Lutheran, but you might be Illinois Shiksa, and I'm trying to figure it out.
2: <laughs> Illinois Presbyterian,
1: Presbyterian. All right, so I'm also Illinois Presbyterian. No. But I, but I converted from Judaism. No one, no one told me that I was a Jew. And so then <laughs> I went Presbyterian in um, uh, Lawrenceville, Illinois. Lawrence? Which is over near Terre Haute, Indiana. Oh, okay. On the east side. Okay. Yeah, but my family was all from Lincoln. Okay. Now, how about, how about you now?
2: My family was all from Princeton, Illinois. Farm town west towards Iowa
1: towards iowa north of st louis i am really really bad with directions oh my goodness if you like
2: went west from chicago i'm pretty sure you'd hit princeton oh yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. so like yeah. you um yeah. just get on the
0: highway and rocks, go west i literally rock, i like i've lived drive, in the Bay area
1: you drive <laughs> through that? rockford and
2: uh you know peoria that,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, of course. Okay. Not Peoria, yeah, so yeah. So Princeton's
2: yeah. right near Peoria, so like that. Okay, my yeah, mom yeah. grew up there. My whole family's there. My dad's from Chicago. Right. But yeah. So yeah, that's, Peoria.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Whole uh, the thing, great
1: Golden State basketball player uh, Andre Iguodala is from
2: Peoria. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I made a custom Iggy t-shirt for my husband last year for Christmas. Uh, No! Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Iggy's a dub. Iggy's
1: a Peoria. I think he's like a Hall of Fame Peoria player. Is he really? Also also the point guard, um, the really tall one who moves so slowly. I'm going to look him up. You well, I have a funny story yourselves. to tell about
2: that t-shirt, about yeah. the Guadala t-shirt. Is like yeah. it was like Christmas time and yeah. we couldn't find he, you know, he really wanted an Iggy t-shirt. We couldn't find <laughs> any pre-made ones. So I went to a t-shirt shop and like yeah. my daughter and I laid it all out and stuff like that. And it's like Christmas Eve. And we go to pick it up during the day and we get there and it says Guadala. No I. No <laughs> I
1: <nice>. Oh no. <laughs> this isn't
2: gonna work. And so he's like, well, I'll just slap it on. He put it on, and it was like this giant eye. So it was like, eh, Godala. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to need to work on this.
1: Oh, dear. Sean Livingston and Andre Andre Iguodala, both from Peoria, Illinois. I did
2: not. Okay, you're educating me on this. I did not know that. We're (laughs) huge Warriors fans. So, yeah. Of course. I
1: I became a Warriors fan um, uh, after I moved, well- well, I moved to San Francisco, but um, I'd gone to school in Chicago from New Orleans, which I think is where you went to school. So I went I think opposite. Exactly. You I went, went the opposite Tulane. direction. Yep. You went yep. to Tulane? Is that uh-huh. where you went? Yeah, uh-huh. you Tulane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Green Wave, right? Green Wave,
2: which I could never yeah. do. It always looked like I was flapping water. <laughs> was like, yeah. So, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. yeah. <laughs> so I I I
1: left New Orleans for Chicago. I went to school in Chicago. And I played I played basketball um in Cabrini Green. That's where I went to go play basketball oh every my gosh. Wow. That was a daily event for me. I was going to play basketball. I was the only white boy there most 99 percent of the time. <laughs> yeah. And um I because I was the only white boy, I was I modeled my game after Dennis Rodman as a rebounder, as a as a guy that would just hustle. But they all called me Steve Kerr, which was, hey, little Stevie Kerr. And I was like, right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a sh-
0: like, him. oh my
1: God, because I'm pale. And I was like, you know, the so hair, I, would,
0: the hair. I could
1: kind of, I could shoot a little bit, you know, but mostly I was a rebounder. That's what I like yeah. to do. And they all call me Steve Kerr. So it's stuck. Well, Stevie that's Kerr is here. And then when he became coach, the dubs, that became my team. It was like, oh, oh yeah. this is my team. Oh, this I is see what I'm that. Gonna do. Sure. Yeah. That's a clear path. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> clear path clear path fouls now and you were illegal also living in,
0: in san francisco
1: yeah i just moved to san francisco but yeah. we're talking about leah this podcast is about leah yeah so let's talk about mid, leah now midwestern you moved to new orleans <laughs> yeah. and you're in school at tulane yes and then you come up with lupus
2: yes after school <sighs> um but you know i i I joke, like looking back, the pain of all of that had started to set in in college. Right. And, like, I mean, let's face it, I was going to college in New Orleans and I was a pretty, like, out there girl. So I was definitely, Ooh. you know, partying you're, quite a bit. You're having a good time. Um, this was the 90s. Sure. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: 90s. Yes. And so I think at that time, the most popular thing to do was you go down to the quarter and you'd take nitrous balloons. And the quarter was littered with
2: nitrous canisters. Oh, God. That was awesome. before me. I was early, early 90s. So it was more like hurricanes. And yeah. um, oh my God, I'm trying to remember the bar that we used to go oh, to. But anyway. But we were I was there like the, the, the same only... time
1: then. We same? were. We were rubbing yeah. elbows.
2: Yeah. Wow. I uh, The Rendon Inn. Red oh. Do you remember that? Oh my God, don't. they had a ladies' night on Wednesday night. But anyway, I would go to the blue probably, crystal. I was probably the, the only person looking for a bar stool because it hurt too much to stand. Oh. Like it, it just, the pain had really start to set in. And mm-hmm. um, by the time I graduated and I'd gotten a job in New York City, I would be sitting at my desk. I was, you know, in my early 20s at this point, and my knees would be throbbing. And like, I just, I remember like I'd be walking, I'd be hunched over and I'm like, I'm 22. Like, this is not, yeah, it's not right. normal. and what am right. I, what am I going to feel like when I'm, you know, 35 or 45? It right. or- right. so it's horrible. Oh my God. Like 30, and I was, yeah. I'd go to doctors and this is a very common story, but they would look at me like I was crazy. And they would look at me like I was making it up and they would yeah. shoot me up with all kinds of shots and this and that. And, right. um, like steroids. The- yeah, with the steroid yeah. shots and the oh, cortisone, and the cortisone. Yeah. cortisone shots. Thank Cortisone's you, a, yeah. cortisone. Yeah, Like, oh, your shoulders hurt. Cortisone shot. Oh, your hips hurt. Cortisone shot. Right. Wow. And and it was awful. Um, and then I moved. I met my husband, and we moved to San Francisco. And that was when I went to the doctor, and he was, you know, diagnosing me, and he's like, "Um, you have lupus," and I was like, "Wow." Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. How did
0: he diagnose you? How did he kind of come to that conclusion? Did you do some tests that no other doctors had done? Or yeah, it's a it tricky it? diagnosis. Um, yeah, because it, it is. It is,
2: and it's um. So part of it was the way that I was presenting pain. Part of it was mm-hmm. by that point I had um an ANA, an elevated ANA count, which is anti-nuclear antibodies. Can't believe I pulled that yeah. out.
0: Um, and
2: <laughs> there were just markers. There were indicators that it was in living. your blood. It turns yeah. out many years later, because it, I was originally diagnosed with um, systemic lupus. But part of it also was I had this this rash here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, later on, that rash was, um, was diagnosed as rosacea. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as time went on, they were noticing that even though my joints were really sore, um, they were never swollen, which was not in line with what systemic lupus is. Mm-hmm. And so- I started to get mixed messages from the doctors mm-hmm. and it was actually a yoga, my yoga teacher mm-hmm. who um, I would, we were living in at the time in Ukiah. We had just, this is a whole other story, but we had, we had <laughs> pulled up stakes and driven down to Costa Rica and lived there mm-hmm. a while and came back up and landed in Ukiah. And um, we'd started a yoga practice when we were in Costa Rica and, and it was the first time we'd ever done yoga. I felt transformed by it and just, and, and mm-hmm. just, um, more in my body than I'd ever felt. Mm -hmm. And so we continued that practice when we settled in Ukiah. And, um, there were two amazing yoga teachers there. And I used to often not be able to attend or have to modify because I was in so much pain. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: one of them pulled me aside and she's like, can I talk to you? She's like, um, this might be overstepping my bounds, but can I give you some material on fibromyalgia? She's like, cause from what you're telling me and the way you describe your pain, it's like a perfect fit. And and I just wonder, and I remember I took, she had all these printouts for me and I took them oh, wow. home. She was amazing. Yeah. And I took them home and I read them and it was like for the first time ever. So this yeah. is, you know four or five years of dealing with this in New Orleans and New York. And then, you know, four years of being on medication for lupus. Like, so it's a, you know, 10 years later, right?
0: Yeah.
2: I read this stuff and I burst down to tears and I was like, this is me. Like they talked Mm -hmm. about the trigger points, like how it's, you know, there's certain areas that just, that, that burn with fibromyalgia and then there's also this, um, almost like you're sheathed in something in a bruise, like your whole body is bruised. Mm. That didn't line up with the the lupus pain, you know? Um, So everything lined up with fibromyalgia. So I went to my rheumatologist and I was like, oh my God, like I think I've got (laughs) fibromyalgia. And he goes, well, of course you do. Like, I'm sure you have fibromyalgia. And I'm like, Mm. I don't think I have lupus. And he's like, no, I don't either. I'm like, well then- why have I been on medication? Yeah, for, for the lupus. Last
3: five years? Wow. Right? He's
2: like, well, oh, just in case. And I was like, no, oh. no, 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 no. Just in so, case. Just <laughs> oh my god. god. Just in <laughs> case. So I went off That's the my lupus brother's name. And um and over time, you know, taking care of myself, um, food was a huge part of it. Yoga was a huge part of it. Can, I don't really I... have any. Flare ups anymore. I don't have. Oh, that's amazing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, but I wanted to
1: establish that because I know that the, that a big part of this podcast today is about your book, Nourished. And it's also about your diet and what, what transformed for you when you, when you made these changes to your diet. So I, I, I don't want to be, um, uh intrusive in any way but I just wanted to ask what your habits were like say in New Orleans cuz for <laughs> me going moving to New Orleans and growing up there transformed my my um aesthetic palate and mm-hmm. what I was willing to endure as mm-hmm. far as food goes yeah, I, oh, yeah. It, it leaving like for example leaving New Orleans and going to <laughs> New York you know, I, my, what my experience was as a young man was that if you go into a restaurant, any restaurant on earth, and if you, and if you spend $10, it better be fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was very quickly disabused of that notion. Most yeah. people will give you shit for 10 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, this yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. This is shit. And it was like, <laughs> well, you paid 10 bucks for it. It's like, it should yeah. be amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what, I mean, and that's basically, you know, you just, you just, you take, you know, butter and, and spice and acid and you, um, you just go to town. That's what I learned in New Orleans. What, what were you eating at that time?
2: A lot of lucky dogs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and beignets, beignets at oh, three God. in the morning. Yes, <sighs> yes, yes, yes.
2: Oh, I ate like crap when I was there. I mean, I ate great. Like I ate, I ate right. touffe and I loved red beans and rice. But it was so during that time, I was I was very much in um what I call now the pinnacles of should angst. So. Oh. I've, I've, I've over many years and working with many people and, and looking at my own journey, um, I sort of mapped out five stages to what I call a nourish evolution. So you start mm-hmm. out blissfully blind. You have no idea the impact that food is having on your body and you don't care. You're just eating anything, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kind of probably went to New Orleans blissfully blind, but then- You know, I'm I'm a girl, right? I'm a young woman. I'm I'm freshman fifteen, so very quickly I get into the pinnacles of should angst, and that is where I should, at the time, you know, it was fat free, right? So I should be eating these plain mashed potatoes in the cafeteria, and I should be eating these plain salads with like lemon squeezed over them. But Mm -hmm. and I would, and I that felt virtuous. Mm. It was awful, but it felt yeah, virtuous. Yeah, 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 yeah. and I would do that for like a day and then at like two o'clock in the morning I'd you know go get a lucky dog you know yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then I'd feel guilty as crap and then yeah. so' it's, that's where the pinnacles of should yeah. angst come in. And yeah. then in the nourish evolution, most people they can live there and should angst for a while, but then they hit their hump. And for me, that lupus diagnosis was my hump. It was, right. it's where you, you go, you get to a place where you're like, oh, all of those diets, all of those things, all of those silver bullets that I thought were going to work are not going to work.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: need to dig deeper and I need to ask different questions to be able to find the answer, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that is a, sort of this wrangling wrestling process where then when you kind of get to the top of the hump in the distance, you can see you know, the land of nourished and and you can see (laughs) what you want to be eating, you know, and how you want to be eating. But then in between those are the peaks and valleys of practice. So that's really where the, you know, the meal planning approach, the smart meal planning approach comes in. It's where the skills come in. It's where the know-how comes in. We don't give um, a lot of credence to all of that in our modern society. We think we should just be able to know how to cook, and mm. it doesn't work that way, you know? Right. So mm. it's that peaks and valleys of practice when you get really excited because you know you want to eat a lot of veggies and you go to the farmer's market and you buy all these heads of kale and you come home and then, you know, five days later, those heads of kale are mush on the bottom yeah.
3: of <laughs> right? Yellow. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: And this is why I call this an eating practice because mm. it's very much like a yoga practice where it's like you do that, you get really excited and then you fail. And then mm. you have to And it's, most people go, oh, well, I can't cook. That's the way yeah. they answer. It. I can't cook. I can't cook healthy food. I don't like healthy food. Well, what the hell? You gotta, you gotta enter back into the ring. You gotta get back on the mat and be mm. like, <laughs> you know, okay, I I failed. What did I learn? How can I go about this differently? You know? And that will eventually get you through the peaks and valleys of practice to that land of nourished. So yeah. to circle back around, yeah, I was not eating well, but there were little um amazing. Snippets like throughout probably a decade of my life where I was learning little bits and kind of absorbing things about food. And one of them in New Orleans, I so distinctly remember this. I was at you know that kitchen wares shop right across from the French Market.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I was there. I have no idea why I happened to be there. Paul Prudhomme was there doing no. little, yeah, doing a oh, little nice demo.
1: Fabulous! Wow. Right? wow, and he was
2: doing a demo. I have no idea why I was there. And there was like nobody in the store. It was like three people. And he was essentially. Um, I think just
1: you me. and him.
2: It was like <laughs> me and three people. It was crazy. It's like meeting
1: Julia Child on the street. It it's was. like, it was like it She really just teaches you how to fry fun. an egg.
2: It was, was insane. Uh, and so he's like, I think he was doing like blackened catfish or something. Because he was searing oh, something. Yeah. And at the end, after he'd seared it, he's like, you Know and this is the you know, this is the fond. This is where this is where all the magic happens. And he was talking about, you know, blazing a pan, and, yeah. and I was like, Oh,
1: That's so it's awesome. you know, the
2: little pieces like that. And then, yeah. um, yeah, I've amazing. just learned so much about food from little yeah. gifts in time like that, you know. Yeah. That was
1: catfish. I was talking to Harmony about catfish last night. It came up on
0: Master chef.
1: Gordon Ramsay's <laughs> Master Chef. One of the one of the guys from the Midwest got a catfish and he's I don't know what to do with it, but he ended up he winning, winning the episode. It's from the Midwest he <laughs> you
3: know was to do with
1: catfish? Uh, he said on. he was landlocked. We don't get never, that much catfish, I don't on. know. <laughs> but I I just said to Harmony last night that blackened catfish or ricochet catfish, as Copeland, Al Copeland called it, was like that was for me, oh, the God. first dish where I really f- understood that there was a different world of food available—that yes. that people w- ha- that if you were um, that young people aren't often given the opportunity to eat because it's wasted on young people—they say, "Yeah, you know, this hundred-dollar plate is—we don't we're not going to give it to the ten-year-old," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I—I I remember I was like fourteen, and and I got this black and catfish. A, at Copeland's, and it was like the The understanding that 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 um, any food can be delicious if you're stacking it in layers of of taste, totally. and it, at that point, it doesn't matter what it, totally. what the protein is or what the thing is. Like, does it have? Totally. Is it balanced? Totally. And
0: well, that's totally. always a thing too that we think about, like because we we've both been you know vegetarian. And like for a long, long time and people years. who yeah. aren't vegetarian, like sort of struggle a lot of the time with, you know, knowing how to feed a vegetarian, like, Oh, well, yeah. we'll have salad or pasta. Right.
2: Right. And that it's <laughs> yeah. But it's like, there's a whole world that's, I absolutely find that um, I actually have a, a course called home cooking school and it yeah. I I started see. it during the pandemic oh, because cool. so many people came to me um, and they're like, I thought I knew how to cook and I could get Mm -hmm. like some things on the table. But now that I've got to cook every night, I realize I don't really know what I'm doing. And it was such a great opportunity because I'd wanted to take kind of everything that I'd learned over the years and break it down into, here are the foundational skills that you need to know to make good food, to make good tasting, delicious food. And it's based on, you know, what you were talking about. Like, Knowing how to create those layers of flavor. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is knowing um, like flavor profiles and understanding how to make those flavor profiles. Part of it is knowing what technique to use to achieve a certain result, you know, mm-hmm. um, like searing, you know, and blackened catfish. It's like you're searing that catfish. There's an alchemy happening between mm-hmm. the, the butter and the catfish and the heat in the pan. Like that's understanding that will transform your cooking. And mm-hmm. so it's like you know, when people tell me, like, oh, I'm a bad cook, I, I ask them, I'm like, have you ever been taught to cook? Because you're not yeah. allowed to say you're a bad cook until you've like spent four weeks in my home cooking school yeah. and got through <laughs> it. And I guarantee you will come out the other end. You'll be like, "Oh my god, I know what I'm doing, and it's really good." You
3: know,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. We're we're kind of obsessed good. with with cooking shows and like mm. all the you know <laughs> chefs' tables and like all the, oh, all yeah. the different things. Um, not necessarily because we're like super gourmet cooks but <laughs> I, i'm like absorbing the information by awesome oh, but i every love night. to
3: cook though yeah
0: yeah, loves, yeah. I, I feel like i'm a good cook i know like i think i make delicious food i like yeah. my food you always say it's good it
1: is really good um
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah. i think one of my biggest struggles and i think this is m- many people's struggle and probably definitely during the pandemic and you know summer summer vacation with you know my son at home too is yeah it's like, oh my gosh, I have to cook three meals a day now. What? Totally.
2: Totally.
0: <laughs> I don't. A, I don't have the time, totally. the energy, the like mental, emotional, mental, physical right? resources yes. to yes, yes, to do this. Yeah. But I mean, it's just,
1: at the same time, like normally, I would just have a, a coffee this in the morning, and it would just like last me until I finally get hungry. Um, but you woke me up this morning with a with an omelet that that broke my face. <laughs> it was. <laughs> So good. Nice. And like, how long did that nice. take you? Like, fifteen so minutes. So simple. Yeah. You
0: made Not a even perfect omelet. Like 10 it minutes. was
1: gooey in the middle. It was <laughs> everything you wanted it to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and I think we make this like a really big thing in our mind. And this is sort of one of the things that you and I connected on was um, Marie Forleo's Time Genius course about you know time being an emotional experience. And I think a lot of times when we think about preparing food. And prepare yep. like uh, cooking and planning and all of that, we get yep. into a very kind of like emotionally taxed state. <laughs> which makes it absolutely. difficult. To well it, do the it's thing. a
2: number it's a number of things, right? Because yeah. it's, there's we're kind of there's a constant banter in the background in our society telling us you're too busy to cook. You're yeah. too busy. Mm. It's too hard to do this. Oh mm-hmm. no, cooking like that is only for foodies. Only right. if you're on cooking shows can you really cook. Like it, it's a constant yes. background yeah. noise and we mm-hmm. absorb it. And we kind of don't even realize that we're absorbing it. But yeah. really when you take a step back and when you look at like, I know you guys travel a ton. When you look yeah. at other cultures in the world, it's like, yes, there are fine dining restaurants, but most people in their homes and even at you know everyday restaurants, they're about finding joy in everyday foods. And those are nourishing, delicious, awesome foods. And I learned that for the first time in Greece. Mm-hmm. I had lived in um, France for a year and really never found my footing with French food, to be honest. Really? I like <laughs> it was very oak cuisine at the time. And yeah. I was a student and I was eating. I was, I was still in the peaks and valleys. I was still yeah, in the, uh, yeah. the You the need to have money to dance. eat. Eat well. Oh, God. Yeah. I was eating like, salad green and beans. fries.
1: It goes along. That's all I ever ate in France. <laughs> beet salad and
2: fries. I mean, it's and now. But see, I hated vegetables. Hated oh, yeah. That's vegetables the
0: problem. For a long
2: time. <laughs> so, yeah. So I ate, I ate horribly. But then I spent um, a summer in Greece. And in Greece, it was this awakening of simple foods mm. prepared simply, but like a fried egg. Yeah so oh, good. the chicken over there fried in the olive oil from those tre- you know pressed from those trees over there it was like it was yeah. just mind blowing well, and
1: goat cheese and no. salt goes a long way on just about <laughs> anything and that's that's what i think about vegetables is like I'm, they're they're a vehicle for salt that and oh, yeah, and everything us face it and pepper a sauce like salt. and
3: all acid that. like that's an acid that's, that's
1: what you're looking for is like i can't just eat those four things salt fast acid heat i i need something to put that on to <laughs> whatever i put that onto is going to taste good
2: <laughs> well and i will say in defense of veggies, <sighs> it definitely there are cooking techniques that you can use yeah. with veggies to be able to mm. cut back on like the amount of cheese or the amount of fat like you, yeah. Cooking with healthy fats and veggies is awesome. Like, have mm-hmm. added, but it's the, like the, you know, melted butter or the tons of cheese or the whatever, like yeah. there are, or the cream or, you know, there are cooking techniques that will coax out flavors and veggies in ways that are like amazeballs and you don't need those. I call them crutches. You don't need to lean on those crutches yeah. of the, um, you know, I, I call them indulgence fats, you know, like the indulgent yeah. things where it's like, they're great in little bits or every once in a while. <laughs> but when you start working them in every day, they, I, they take a toll, you know? Right. Yeah. So right. yeah, for sure.
0: So what are some um, of the strategies that you would um, introduce to someone who's really like struggling with time and like yeah. this idea of you know, because I think that's why also a lot of people order. I mean, that's why I order in <laughs> when I order in, right? Oh. It's just like, I can't face it. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I'm
1: hungry and tired. You want me to cook I'm hungry
2: now? and tired. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, a lot of it is being is being proactive and a lot of it is like yeah. defusing things for ourselves yeah. and just making it less complicated. So um, I actually have a really great free training that I'll give you the, the link to for your oh, peeps. But it's yeah. um, how to plan, prep and cook easy weeknight meals. So it's really great techniques in there. But in a nutshell, I like to recommend, you know, when people are like, okay, what should I eat for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner and for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner? Like (laughs) who has the mind capacity to figure all that out, right? And Mm -hmm. even if you map it out, even if you have all that mapped out by like day three, you're no, that's not like lunch (laughs) exhausted. You're done. Mm -hmm. So I like to say like for breakfast and for lunch, keep it simple. You know, for breakfast, have like three to five things that you cycle through. You yeah, know, for me, right. it's some kind of an egg. Love eggs of all yeah. nature. So it's like right now, I know mm. I've got really, really good whole grain toast and a half an avocado in my kitchen, and I am going to make avocado toast with fried egg for breakfast. For right? You. Yeah. For you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it could be you know yogurt with nuts and fruit. It Like what? works for you? What are three yeah. to five breakfasts that work for you that you can wake up and be like, well, this or this or this, this easy peasy. Like yeah. you don't even need to be through your first cup of coffee to answer that question. Right. Mm-hmm. You can, you can do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then for lunches, I'm a big fan. And this actually ties into, uh, the smart meal planning approach that I like to use for dinner kind of feeds into lunches. So mm-hmm. dinner is really the biggest struggle for everybody. We found like, yeah. you know, Eighty percent of the struggle is dinner, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So, um, <laughs> I, it, it, I, I like in my whole thing, when I finally answered what, how I should be eating, what I should yeah. be eating, what I wanted to eat, um, yeah. to put on that nourished plate. You know, I finally figured out how to cook it, how to enjoy it, how to find joy in these veggies and everything. And then I became a mom, and then I was yeah, like, right? <laughs> oh my god, like what, like. I've got 20 minutes. How do I do this now? You yeah, know, less. So, um, yeah. So that was like a lot of trial and error to figure out how that happened. And through that trial and error, I developed this meal planning approach that I call Nourish One, Two, Three. Yeah. And so it's based on you start out by picking, we like to start with a vegetable and then work out from there, whatever other, you know, protein or whole grain you're on your plate. But so you pick, let's say green beans, you know, you want to cook with green beans and then you make a a simple core recipe from it. So it could be like garlicky sauteed green beans. Mm -hmm. I know, right? And then you're (laughs) deliberately making enough for leftovers. You're deliberately doubling a batch and mm-hmm. making a reinvention recipe or two from that. So then it could be like um, fusilli pasta with garlicky green beans and goat cheese,
3: right? Yeah, yeah,
2: or, yeah. There so you already got the basis, the basis for what yeah. you're making for dinner. So then the way that that plays out over the week is that that first night you're making, I like to make three cores. So then you have a, sort of a mix and match plate. So you might have those garlicky green beans. And um, golden tofu and uh, coconut rice, right? Okay. So you've got that on your plate, mm-hmm. mm. gorgeous plate, yeah. And then you're doubling mm. those; you're making double batches of those, which takes nowhere near the amount of time that it does to start from scratch. Like right. doubling a batch of rice takes how much extra time?
0: <laughs> zero, zero.
2: <laughs> literally yeah. zero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So and then you tuck those away in the fridge, and key you have to tuck the leftovers away in the fridge before you serve them because otherwise everybody will eat them up. So yes. <laughs> then you got the leftovers. And then, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, then you're making those reinventions. And those reinventions come together in like 10 minutes, 20 minutes mm. like that. That's and so that's good. what kind worked for me and how I was wow. able to, you know, get these nourishing meals on the table night after night and after night after night. And so I created um, a whole meal planning program on that called Cook the Seasons. Oh, um, and it's great. And even, you know, to go back to time genius, right, and the way yeah. that you hold time, yeah. um, I, I find that also we tend to, um, oh, there's a really good word that I can't come up with right now, but like co- combine. Oh, yeah.
0: We compress like, time to the amount of time we give it. Is that what you're Well, thinking? we also look, we tend oh, to look like, at how time it's- always the same thing, yeah. like we're conflating, mm-hmm. conflate, conflating, right? conflating,
3: conflating. Time. <laughs>
2: um, like time over the weekend when we could be enjoying time in the kitchen and maybe like right. snapping beans with our, you know, our kids on the front porch and have yeah. it be an enjoyable time. We're conflating that with it's Tuesday night and we've got this and I've got to work late and my kids got to be here and and I yeah. got to get dinner on the table. Right. Yes. But if we, dis- if we separate those, then we can treat that time in the way that it's meant to be, you know? Yeah. So I call, when we're cooking um, those double batches of those three core recipes, I call that the big cook. And that's yeah. the big cook. And you're spending an hour, you're spending an hour and a half in the kitchen, but yeah. you're jamming, the, you know, you're jamming some music. You maybe got yeah. some wine going, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're having a good enjoying, time. maybe you get the family involved. Like that's the time to enjoy. And mm. then everything's tucked away. And then on Tuesday night, when you need dinner, That's when, you know, those, the pot of water goes on to boil. You got the pasta, you pull the green beans out, boom, dinner, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah, It's
1: super, it's super fascinating. Cause I, I, I feel like, um, what you're describing is the same kind of relationship I have towards like, say a spiritual practice, like meditation (laughs) or yoga is that when I, when I enter in that space, I'm always so relieved to finally be there. It's like, Oh, Oh, I remember this. This is nice. This is so good. I'm just gonna, I can just fucking sit here. And it's the same way with cooking. Like when you know when it comes around, you know time for dinner, uh, I would much rather just be lying down somewhere. But (laughs) if I actually go into the kitchen and start cooking, there is such a sense of relief to finally be in the mental space where I can just go through a process and. And work to be as efficient as possible and then work to be, it's in it's a sense of aesthetic appreciation of the moment, but also the flavor. And it's just an extraordinarily beautiful human moment that I sacrifice so I can, you know, lie down and watch Rachel Maddow. And i like, weird, like right. I'm watching Rachel, you want me to cook? Like, I'm... <laughs> It's like, get off the
3: fucking-
2: You're (laughs) 1000% spot on, right? It's an Mm. opening. And I think that this is something that way too many people miss. And this is Mm. where the background noise blinds us from Mm. this opening, where it's like, just like when you step onto your yoga mat, you're in this different world and you just feel rooted to the core and it brings you peace and it brings you joy and it brings Mm. you openness and all of that cooking can be the same way. Food can be the same way. You know, it's, Mm. it's an opportunity for us to mindfully enter into this much deeper connection. I mean, it is literally, we are consuming the bounty that the earth has provided Mm. for us. You know, people have shepherded to our tables, like, oh my God, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a massive, Almost holy element to it, you know, and and obviously you don't have to like be that reverent every single time, but to even be remotely aware and mindful of that when you're slicing an heirloom tomato, you know, and really Mm. looking at it and being like, my God, this is gorgeous, you know, or (laughs) you're sauteing some garlic and you're like, oh, you know, it's. It's a whole experience that connects us to the earth, and it connects us to those who provided the food, and it connects us to a deeper part of ourselves. You know, yeah. when we go into it in that mindful way, totally.
0: Mm, I love the, that.
1: The, the problem is that it's Sunday morning for most of our listeners, and they're trying to get their yoga practice done, and now they're hungry. <laughs> That's a shame.
0: I, I wanna, I'm really,
1: I'm really intrigued. I'm um.
0: I want I wanna, another omelet already. <laughs> I,
1: I want to ask you because I want to get back to how you healed yourself and where you're at now, and I just want to kind of start and kind of go back a little bit. You you grew up in Peoria, or did you move around a little bit after? I grew that?
2: up in the North Shore of Chicago, so yeah. Oh, my, you did. My, my okay. you know family, my brother and mother and father lived in North Shore of Chicago, and everybody else.
1: Western that that um,
2: dear, dear Bannockburn Deerfield.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah Deerfield. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: Yes. And so why would you of all places
1: go to Tulane for school?
2: <laughs> it's funny you ask that because my daughter is in the midst of applying for colleges. And so, yeah. um, I was a musician growing up oh, and, amazing. Um, Tulane was on the common application and I literally knew like one person that went there and I knew there was a lot of music at Tulane mm-hmm. and I was like, like, uh, you know, rock band musician, not Mm. a, like sing in the choir musician. Yeah. So I checked the box. And I also had a fascination (laughs) with French and had been studying French since fifth grade. And they had, I knew that they had a junior year abroad program. That was one of two in the U.S. where you had to be fluent in French. It was very uh, competitive to get in. And if you did, then you were enrolled directly at the Sorbonne. And I had set a goal in fifth grade, to go to the Sorbonne. So common application, music, (laughs) Paris, baby. Right. And
1: did you do that your junior year at the Sorbonne? I did. Amazing.
2: That is fabulous. I tell you though, it was not because I was smart enough to go. It was because (laughs) I was so passionate. I literally would go and sit in the JYA office, junior abroad office, like multiple times a week. And I'd be like, I really, 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 really want to go to Paris. I really. I must have been like, my God, just let's just send this girl to get her out of our hair. That's
1: funny. I did. I did something very similar. I was at the Art Institute. They gave us a. the Terra Museum, gave us an opportunity to go to and uh, Giovanni. And I just fucking begged them every day. And they oh, had to wow. send one representative from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago to <gasps> Giverny. And I was like, I'm your guy. I'm the only one here doing landscape painting. There's no one else that you can send. Oh my and they, I finally, I just wore them down. Yeah. I wore them down yes. and they sent me, said, oh fine. And they sent me.
2: Hi, man, that's Hi, awesome. Five. You studied at Giverny?
1: Yep, yeah, I was there for the summer. Uh, Ooh, I was God. across the street from Monet's home. At the Terra Museum facilities. And so I just, and then I would go and I would make landscape paintings. I painted, I did landscape paintings of the tour buses that came in every day.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was like, these are beautiful.
1: These tour buses are beautiful. so
2: amazing. We took my daughter um, probably five years ago or so. uh, We were in Paris and my daughter was sort of studying, you know, the great masters in sixth grade or whatever um and so she wanted to go to giverny and i would oh, wow. i'm up so yeah. we took the train out to giverny mm-hmm. and then i had this great idea of like oh when we get back to paris let's go to Rangerie and we'll see Ooh, yeah. those great awesome yeah. campuses right. and that was really brilliant that was really cool to go Connect from the right to there yeah where i went wrong was then i was like well let's go to the louvre <laughs> With a 12 year old, you know, and I just and I spent remember, like an it hour hot. and a half
1: in line to get into the Louvre. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and then you're
2: in it and it was hot as shit and it's not yeah. air conditioned. It's I just, not air I remember, conditioned I just at all. It's like seven o'clock at night. And I'm like, we're literally, she's on my back, just bawling, just wailing. because The she's 12 just year hot. old? Yes, but she couldn't oh, even hurt her. Poor feet
1: thing. So and
2: I'm running with her on my back from one air vent to another, and we just would stand over the air vent. And then oh, we would run to the next air vent and stand. <laughs> we so did disaster. real well with the Givenchy yeah. and the lorangerie but do not do, you know, a, a the loop. don't back the on the Louvre Yeah,
0: that there after should that. be like an yeah. age, an age requirement, right? See, <laughs> like,
2: the the
1: requirement like
0: sixteen plus to enter the Louvre.
1: The requirement for me is, if you're going to go to an art museum with me, then you have to commit to four hours. Oh, yeah. Anything less than that is, I'm annoyed yeah. as fuck.
0: Like, yeah. if you, you do, and I go home. Be good just yeah. fucking
1: go home. Yeah. We're not going to be yeah. here for the whole thing. We went to yeah. so yeah.
0: many art museums on our honeymoon that he finally was, I was like, let's go here. And he's like, I think I've had enough. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh my
1: I, God. I, I wore you
0: wow. out. No way. <laughs>
1: so we're going to bed at two in the morning after dinner, which is at <laughs> in Madrid. We wake up at 5. AM to teach yoga for three hours. And it's like, let's go to museums. Like I'm tired. I'm tired now. Don't blame it on the, fucking painting oh my god so okay so I you you decide to study <laughs> were you study were
2: full-on music and french major no not at all i was actually communication by that point and I was, um, I was playing in a in a band not in paris i don't think i played in a band in paris but in new orleans i was playing in a band okay um, amazing and, yeah it was pretty cool it was pretty fun <laughs> um and i was uh in I was studying communication. I was actually the first communication major ever to go on the junior year abroad program <laughs> <laughs> um, and minoring in French. So yeah. I had, I had no, I had nothing like food was not at on all your radar. part of my picture there. And, and like I said, I hated vegetables. Right. Um, like really, really hated vegetables. Wow. And so it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I know you wouldn't think it now, but I used to like make people like wipe out a bowl if there were beets in it and I would gag like, like oh man
3: yeah like, you can't live
1: coral. in france for a year right? and not eat beets every day
2: oh no it was no oh. i would touch the things i would gag no. most so beautiful funny. beets on the planet oh my god totally yeah no 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 oh. no so it wasn't until like, i was married and had gone through you know all this pain and had the lupus diagnosis
1: but this guy you was he a, a native of louisiana or is he from someplace else my he husband? Yeah. He's from Detroit. He's from Detroit. Yeah, That's right. You Detroit. said that he's from Detroit.
2: He's from Detroit. Weird. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. you
1: went out to San Francisco together. He was living
2: he was living in San Francisco. He was actually living in Southern California at the time. Southern. And I was living in New York. And oh. a mutual friend introduced us. So we had a bi coastal relationship. Until yeah. we got married. And then uh-huh. we decided we were gonna settle in San Francisco. Okay. And all right. um and I was just starting to become, funny enough, a food writer and breaking into food writing. But it was at the time of like I was writing for cooking light and I was writing for health, and it was very much like best fat-free, you know, snacks. And it was all mm-hmm. like like everything was fat free and light and this and that. So I had it nothing to do time. with vegetables. Totally. At
1: that time, <laughs> everybody was fat free and eating pounds of sugar. Right. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah. And like lean cuisine,
2: tons of carbs and tons yeah. of yeah, <laughs> all this refined food. Mm-hmm. So, when I was, uh, had gotten the lupus diagnosis. You know, when you get a diagnosis like that, the doctor looks at you and they're like, You're gonna need to change the way you eat and you're gonna need to change your life. And then right. they stop, like, they don't tell you how, mm-hmm. yeah. like, that's it. And so I leaned into my writing credentials and started asking for nutrition focused assignments and was talking to experts around the world. Um, basically totally selfishly asking the question, like, what should I eat to like, mm-hmm. my body, you
1: know? Wow. Amazing opportunity
2: across the board. And a, a bunch of like 20 year studies, really big 20 year yeah. studies were kind of coming to fruition at that time, 20 years and longer. And a, across the board, Everybody was saying, eat lots of seasonal vegetables cooked with healthy fats, Mm -hmm. um, rounded out with like well-sourced protein. It could be plant-based protein, could be grass-fed beef, could be sustainable seafood, like whatever fits your, you know, your profile
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: whole grains, you know, whole grains and legumes. So that's the plate. I mean, I heard this from, you know, University of Athens professors and researchers to Harvard researchers. That was it. And I was like, this is awesome. I know what I need to eat. Mm -hmm. Only problem is I still hated vegetables. (laughs) You don't like it.
1: You know what to eat, but you just don't like it. Yeah. That's so funny.
2: So that became a quest in and of itself where I was, and but this is like what I was talking about before the hump, where you like you hit the hump and rather be like rather than think you're gonna get over the hump in in you know two weeks with a bad Mm -hmm. diet, I was like, oh, okay. Clearly, I need to learn how to make these foods taste so good that I'm going to want to eat them every day. You know, yeah. and so that was really like the part two of the quest.
1: Um, I, yeah. I have to say mm-hmm. that that was also my experience. That like growing up in Illinois, the the idea that I had of vegetables was like corn, which is not oh, a vegetable. Oh, yeah. Which isn't know? a vegetable, <laughs> and <laughs> then everything else came out of a can. Yeah. Totally. And mm-hmm. so that's disgusting. And no human being the should eat that. asparagus
2: that sticks to your fingers, like the canned oh, asparagus man. that literally and, like, is canned... army green and sticks to your aspar- your oh, fingers.
1: Yeah. All the canned spinach. And so like, if it's a vegetable, it comes out of a can <laughs> and then it goes with your meat and potatoes. And I didn't like meat anyway. And I just, so I just ate potatoes or I would eat, a, you know... Um, cereal
0: we had a lot of frozen <laughs> yeah. vegetables frozen, better, better than canned but I, still, we,
1: can. I don't know yeah i don't know we, that's still a little yeah.
0: lacking something at a certain point yeah. like i think i lived yeah. on
1: lean cuisine from like the age of 12 to till you know i started cooking for myself and i said mom i'm just gonna cook for myself now um so th- having to learn that you could do anything with a vegetable you didn't need to just can it and then you know totally. mash it and boil like the whole it. thing. It's or it's steam it or boil yeah. it, like
0: steam it, boil it. Yeah, I think that was the times right. People was... weren't really. I mean, in a way, it's interesting. Like food now, I think there's so much more um awareness, consciousness. Like there's food is art now, yeah. right? Like we're so it's the, it's the age of the age art form. Of like you know, but that food. can almost
2: come <laughs> with its own. Like that worries me a little bit too. And it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. You yeah. guys read that? Right? I haven't read really that. You know, she it. talks about like art being something that is, it's, it's up here. It's fun. Yes. So yes. remo- like, cre- it removes creativity yeah. from like, from the everyday person. Right. I feel like in a way, we tend to do that with food too, mm. where it's like food is art. Oh, but if food is art, then I need to be a trained chef right. with a to white do coat. Food. Be able to make food that tastes good, and I'm not a trained yeah. chef with a white coat. I don't have time right. to do that. Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of say, I, you know what I mean, and then it's people just the write it
1: off. It's the same with music. It's the same with art yeah. that people feel intimidated by it. Like that's something right. for them, not right. for me. I'm a consumer. Right. I sit on my couch and watch it happen.
2: Right. I'm not, I cannot I'm not tell you the amount of time, Totally, but it's like like people will say to me that you know. Um, I remember my, my aunt actually came for a visit one time and I made, and I'd like worked all day and it was a busy day. And I made roast chicken and veggies, like roast mm-hmm. chicken and root veggies. It took me five minutes maybe to like prep everything and stick it in the oven. And it's delicious, right? It's, mm. I mean, it's delicious. <laughs> and she ate it and like everybody went gaga. And these are, you know, my, my relatives from Illinois yeah. <laughs> went gaga and she was like, Oh, well, but of course you know how to do this. Like, this must have taken you hours, but you're such a foodie. And Mm -hmm. I hear that all the time. Like, oh, of course you sauteed mushrooms. You're such a foodie. (laughs) Oh, of course you did this. And I'm like.
1: Of course you sauteed mushrooms. What are you talking
2: about? (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) people make a bigger deal out of it. If if it tastes good. Yeah. They think it must be really complicated or Mm -hmm. or. Or too much for them to be able to do. And that's not the that's not the case.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting because I think like exactly what you're saying, this used to be something that was even a bit more in our our culture, in our DNA, you know, before restaurants, before fast food, before I don't know, the fifties or something. <laughs> I'm not sure where to really place it in our history. but Yeah, you're right. It is. But it's like, like when, when, yeah. yeah kids learn to cook, right? Like it. children mm-hmm. learn to cook from their mothers or their grandmothers. And you hear this like story in every single cooking show that we watch. Oh, my grandmother taught me to cook. And yeah. it's, you know, they learned that the, you know, it's just something that was in the culture of the family totally. at the time. And I think a lot of us grew up in families where, you know, our moms were working full time. They didn't have time to cook. Maybe they were single moms. You know, yep. And we didn't really have that in our culture, in our our totally um, yeah. context. And so it yeah. seems very difficult because it's a it's a you're absolutely yeah. right. You're, and that's there's a risk <laughs> there. And that that's one of the things I love about home
2: cooking school is that we've got we have students who are in their 20s. We have students who are in their 70s. And it's, it's, it's this, um, this gap in our culture where Mm -hmm. there is not, um, that skill base that's handed down. Um, and I kind of gleaned all over the place and, and built it myself. And now I get to share it with others because it makes such a ginormous difference. You know, people that
0: Mm -hmm. I asked
2: at the beginning of it, Scale of one to ten, how good of a cook do you feel like you are? And I mean, many people say, you know, two, maybe, maybe five. Mm. The people that say two by the end, four weeks, four weeks, is it? (laughs) They're at like an eight or a ten. You know, amazing, amazing. (laughs) It's not, it's not rocket science at all. It's available to everybody.
0: Yeah. You know, I, and I like too that you say it's a practice, right? Like yes. it's something that you just have to kind of take up and that it can be part of like a spiritual practice, even, right? Totally. Connecting to nourishment, connecting to the earth, totally. connecting to your body, totally. connecting to your spirit. Yeah.
1: I, I think just to piggyback on the harmony, I feel like that there's even like something kind of deeply rooted that's that's also very cultural about uh being white and Midwestern is that we're we're it's so ingrained in us to be passive consumers or passive observers mm-hmm. you know like at a at a recital you just sit there like that's mm-hmm. you're not you're not doing a, a waltz or a dance right. and coming coming down new orleans was a thing that i felt like what i really learned culturally was how to participate in art whether it's dancing, it's music, it's painting, it's food, it's yeah. watching the sports is very different in New Orleans. Watching the Saints is very different in New Orleans than it is watching the Bears. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just yep. kind of sits and watches the Bears, but in New yep. Orleans, you are at an active participant <laughs> yeah. in the thing. Oh, yeah. And being an active participant in life is, is not something that white people are great at. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that's... That's kind of what you're asking us to do with your book is to be more, is to is to encourage us to be more active participate, participants in our own life in just a very simple way, which is what yeah. do we eat at night?
2: Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. For Sure. And it is, it is, there is, you know, Harmony, you were talking about a spiritual practice and this mm-hmm. is, you know, a spiritual practice, a yoga practice, a, an eating practice. Like, yeah, to me, they're very, very aligned. Um, and it is that, you know, I find that people think like, oh, it's, I think I said this earlier, like, oh, it's cooking. I should just be able to know how to do this. But it's like, would you ever pick, would you ever, your first time doing yoga, would you ever expect to be doing like, you know, perfect yeah. down dogs or right. even, you know, like whatever, right. It's, it's not going to be perfect. You'd never yeah. pick up a violin and expect to be able to just play it. Right. You'd have to learn things. You'd have to mm-hmm. practice. You'd have to be okay with sounding screechy when you first mm-hmm. started.
3: You know, and I was yeah. learning
2: how to make it sound good. Like there's a whole process. And for whatever reason, American modern society just does not give food that room, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, when you hold it as a practice, yeah, it kind of changes everything, you know? Yeah. And even looking at things like, you know, we tend to take for granted, even, I was thinking about this, um, the tools, you know, I, I keep talking about home cooking school and I don't mean to, but um, <laughs> we even go back and look at like, the, we start out by looking at, the kitchen and like do you have the right tools to be able to cook the meals that you want to because we think like kitchen tools means like fancy this and fancy that and really expensive this but it's not it's like the basic tools to be able to make this work and I was thinking like just (laughs) recently um I have a uh really painful ganglion cyst that's like in a really inoperable place and so I got to the place with yoga where I could not I just couldn't do it it was it was horrible. Sure. And then I found these fabulous grips oh, yeah, the and I, and it's so <laughs> awesome. And now I can do yoga again because mm-hmm. I have this piece of equipment that works for me. Yeah. And I think that there's a great analogy there for a wobbly cutting board and a crappy knife, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you a wobbly cutting board and a crappy knife. You're going to cut good, gonna all the time. You're going to be frustrated and you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And if you got a nice, big, spacious, sturdy cutting board and a really mm-hmm. awesome sharp knife and you have the skills to be able to use that knife, you're going to be able to get through all that prep mm-hmm. super yeah. quickly. You're going to enjoy doing it mm-hmm. and it's going to transform everything, you know? Yeah. So it's oh, like right. we don't think of that stuff, right?
1: I told Harmony this, what, two yeah. nights ago? I was yelling at you about about your knife. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you didn't sharpen your knife first, and then she was like hacking away at garlic. It's like you're gonna I cut yourself. You're gonna cut yourself. It's like you had the garlic in your hand, you're stabbing at your hand with a knife, and I was like, damn, <laughs> man. I was I was cutting all the cloves
0: from the. You're cutting all the cloves all <laughs> at once. <laughs> That's right. not how, it, that get it, save, first of all, time. at least
1: sharpen your knife, you know, at least so that you can actually do the job you're trying to do Unsafe. <laughs>
0: it was fine. It all worked mm. out. It work out. No fingers were lost in the experiment. I go over to your fun. parents'
1: house. What's the first it's thing so that I do? Funny. Yeah,
0: well, that's a The first
1: thing, thing I do is sharpen their knives. <laughs> the it's like, we're going oh, sh- to cook today. gonna cook today.
0: sharpen my knives. We're going right? to cook today. It was, mm. it was time to sharpen knives.
1: I do. <laughs> I've got 30 seconds to sharpen my <laughs> knife so I don't cut myself.
2: I gotta
0: tell you, I suck at uh,
2: sharpening knives. I take it to the, the knife sharpener, Ooh. like at the farmer's market. No,
0: yeah. You do,
1: do, 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 do this for 30 seconds do, 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 and it's I sharp. No,
0: no, I'm, with I'm, mm. with I'm, I'm with you. Like, that's awesome. It's a fabulous practice. I no, in, India, in, India, <laughs> in India, in India, sharp- they have a guy who comes around door to door. No, you don't and need that asks- guy. If you want your knives, you don't
1: need that guy. You just right? sharpen
0: We need more of that. You, I need you, that guy. Every yeah.
1: time you sit down to cook, you spend thirty seconds to sharpen the knife you're gonna use because it's sharp. And then you cut them tomatoes and they're good.
2: <laughs> I think we all need to know our boundaries too, right? And like for me, knife sharpening is just one of those bridge tooth bars kind of, you know? <laughs> I'm with
0: you.
1: It's a bridge too he, far. He
0: sharpens them, why why do I need to? You I don't sharpen them
1: every time we use it. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> They're getting sharp at least like you know once a week. I don't um,
1: need to do it every damn day, <laughs> every day, once a week. you got to cut yourself. Mm. So How many times have you cut yourself in the house?
0: Well, that has nothing to do with the sharp. How many times I cut night? myself
1: in the house? <laughs>
0: Has mm. to do with coordination. <laughs> it is
1: not. It is a practice. That's what she's talking about. It's she's talking,
0: practice. About practice. Yeah, talking
1: about practice. Yeah,
0: we're talking it's about practice. We're talking about food. You're Alan pulling Iverson. up your New Orleans
2: accent now. I
1: know. I, know. Mm.
2: I, know. I, I so really. Excited.
0: It's it's so yeah. good. I think I think that also the interest in in food, like you're saying, becomes even more important when because the other thing that. Can happen, I think, is you get kind of just tired, oh, or yeah. you're just like, I can't do it, or I don't want to do it, and then you're not really eating properly or oh, regularly, yeah. and then you're yeah. like binging on the stuff is yeah. isn't totally. great, right? Like the bag of potato chips, carbs or the, and salt. Totally. I, do do like, I, like, I was like, yeah, whatever, mm. right? Easy, just absolutely. Fast. It's, u- so, it,
1: it's umami. That's what you're eating.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So having uh-huh. that. <laughs> that uh-huh. practice and and also yeah. making it a part of your life kind of yeah. puts you in a different place where you're not like so hungry or your body's craving from like this yeah. really like primal yeah. place yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you're just responding to instinct at the time rather than yes. feeling in control of your choices yeah. really, right? And it feeds into itself, you know, <laughs> it feeds into itself when you're eating
2: in the way that you want to eat. Yeah. That nourished plate. You have more energy, you have more yeah. calm, you have more clarity. Mm-hmm. Um and so you're able to sort of act on that and then it's it's you it, you feel rewarded, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's this upward spiral. Yeah. Whereas when you're eating crap, we all know. And yeah. this is know, you're asking about how when I changed when I changed my plate to that nourished plate. Mm-hmm. I, I dropped 20 pounds without even knowing it, like without even mm. thinking about it. I was like, hey, yeah. my pants don't fit anymore. Mm. And I've been <laughs> dieting forever to try mm. and eat right. that. <laughs> plate, you know? yeah. So I'm like not focusing on it and I'm just shifting my plate and yeah. it's gone. And then my fibro bouts started to come a lot less frequently and a lot less intense. And within a couple of years, they just stopped coming at all. So um, it's, I mean, it's huge. It was a <sighs> huge impact. How long has it been in check now? Oh, pfft, over a decade. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And- I mean, I'm yeah, I'm 52 now proudly, and I feel so much better than I did in my 20s. I can't even tell you. Yeah, that's wow. amazing.
0: Wow. Yeah, so good. And such like a hopeful message because I do think, you know, as people maybe age or go through stressful situations or genetics, whatever it is you know, things do come up where, you know, you maybe feel out of control with your health or like something's Mm -hmm. happening to you that you're not in control of. And it's so hopeful to hear that there are things you can do that will actually help you feel better and have some control in in a certain way over the outcomes. And,
2: And there's something else too that I think is worth mentioning is that Food is so divisive right now, mm. right? It's mm-hmm. like people are, you know, identifying themselves by I'm keto, I'm gluten-free, I'm vegan, I'm this, I'm that. And there's all these yeah. identities that are wrapped up in food that are very divisive. And,
3: mm.
2: you know, people make their decisions for, for whatever reasons that they do. But I like to counsel people to start, if you're just making the transition from like meat and potatoes and, and, and lots of, you know, processed food, start at a nourished plate. Start mm. there. You know, if you're used to eating meat and potatoes, then maybe shift your plate to like really delicious veggies and then some whole grains and then some like well-sourced meat and see what that does for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And then if you want to go from there and you want to try a vegetarian lifestyle, awesome. If you want to try this, you know? Yeah. But start with that nourished plate because that's a place that you can stay for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. And it will bring you lasting health, lasting joy, lasting ease. Whereas mm-hmm. I find what happens now is that people um tend to go from like processed food into one of the 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 restrictive diets, right yeah, and so yeah. they'll start to feel good because the processed food is gone mm-hmm. and they're suddenly eating like real food, yeah, but they're attributing the fact that they feel good to the diet when the yeah. diet itself is likely not doing not creating all of the good might be creating some of the good, but not creating all of the good. The actual good is coming because they've shifted their plate away from a processed food towards real food. Um, But then oftentimes those restrictive diets are tough to sustain, you know, and people don't, it doesn't bring the joy long-term, you know, and, and there are times when we'll want to explore different paths You know, we've been, my daughter, we've been vegetarian at times. We've been, you know, we've had to do more restrictive diets at times. There's, there are times for those things, Mm -hmm. but if people have this sort of home base that they can always return to of that nourished plate and that place of like deep joy, Mm -hmm. that's really powerful. And then the other things become, um, curiosity and experiments. And if it Mm -hmm. works, awesome. Continue. Continue. But if it doesn't, you have a place to come back to. You're not going back, you're not coming off of, oh my God, I can't sustain this keto diet. And you're going back to Mickey D's. You know, it's like there's this really wonderful home base to come back to that will sustain you for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. And I think that brings up also a really interesting point too, because sometimes we do get like into these diet. Um, groupings, like you're vegan and you're not actually eating whole foods or being healthy, right? You're eating like the processed cheese, like the vegan cheese, which is actually pretty terrible for you. You know, you're just eating more processed food, but it's like vegan. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy though. And the same thing can even happen with like keto diet, right? So now you're just eating bacon and eggs all all the day, all the time, every day. day. Like that's not healthy for you either. (laughs) Well, and even
2: with gluten-free, I mean, you could kind of go everywhere with that. We have a lot of people in Cook the Seasons who are vegetarians who recognize that they were basically eating pasta and cheese all the time. And they were like, I'm I'm a vegetarian, but I'm not eating vegetables, you know? So we come to Cook the Seasons to learn how to cook really delicious vegetables. But, um, but even with like, uh, you know, gluten free is such a big thing. And there are obviously people that have, you know, serious yeah. gluten issues, and I totally get that. But I find a lot of people that I talk to who are eating gluten-free don't really know why they're doing it. <laughs> they're just doing it because they think it's healthier. They're doing it for spiritual really-
0: development. <laughs> right. It's, you know,
2: mm. and and oftentimes that means eating like processed gluten free
0: things. Right. Which so isn't it's great either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So yeah. it's
2: not serving them in a really wonderful way. So um, there's, you know, it's, it's worth it to examine, like, why are you doing this? Is there another way of doing it? Does it make sense to kind of back up, start at a nourished plate? Yeah. And then explore venues from there, you know, Mm. explore paths from there. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: I love it. So if people want to get your book Nourished or join your Nourished evolution. Yes. Where can they do that?
2: <laughs> you can get my book, Nourished, uh, on Amazon for sure, on Barnes & Noble. Um, those are probably the best places to grab it. Um, and actually, when you do, shoot me an email at support at nourishevolution.com and let me know that you bought it because we have got a really great um, bonus ebook that goes along oh, with it cool. there's a it's my memoir so it's a lot of story and i have a recipe with each chapter but oh, there are a nice. lot of recipes that i didn't have room to include so we put 12 of them in a bonus ebook so I'll oh, have you that's to fabulous it. Yeah. oh that's beautiful and then, oh, that's um, and then yeah i would love uh you can get to head to nourishevolution.com mm-hmm. and we've got lots of information on there we've got our programs on there um, I'd love to have people sign up for our, um, how to plan, prep, and cook easy weeknight meals to get some of these tips firsthand. Yeah. Really great. Again, kind of bonus ebook and work sh- worksheets and things to put it into practice. And are you still um, doing so your cooking school? And about- home cooking school. Yes. Mm. <laughs> also on Nourish Evolution. We really, you know, I'm really proud of the suite of, yeah. of, um, offerings that we've put together over the years because. It's all about empowering the home cook. It's all about helping people become more competent, confident home cooks. And that just really moves the needle. So there's home cooking school. We have our kind of um, quick, quick and quick and dirty um, real food reset. It's a 10 day real food reset. Oh, cool. Um, which is also awesome. And mm-hmm. then our, you know, ongoing uh, meal planning program. That's a, a great system. Cook the seasons. Okay. So, yeah. We got you covered. Yeah. To it a <laughs> real real
1: pleasure to have this conversation with you today. Are you, no. you're out there in California, are you in Healdsburg now?
2: I'm in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Santa Rosa. Okay.
1: That's, that's um. how, I'm sorry. I forget. Is that South of San Francisco? It's up North.
2: Yeah. North of San Francisco. It's only about 15 minutes South of Healdsburg. So yeah, oh, it's about
1: an not, hour. Not far from the French laundry
2: no, that's over in Napa. Mm. That <laughs> laundry's over in Napa. really? Right.
1: Well, we'll get back there. That'll be all right. One
2: day. One mm. day we'll get there. <laughs>
3: mm. Yeah.
0: Well, it was a pleasure, you guys. Really, really fun to have this chat. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.